Hi everyone, Xander here. Before we begin our podcast, we just wanted to give you all a warning that this film deals with very heavy topics including sexual assault, struggles with self-perception and identity, and extreme violence. If any of these make you feel uncomfortable, feel free to skip this episode and be on the lookout for our next podcast. Again, feel free to listen or not listen based on your comfortability with these subjects. That being said, let us dive into the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Postgrad Anime Club podcast. As always, here at the club, we watch and review anime in the hopes that we can help improve your anime viewing experience by guiding you to the good shows, the bad shows, and everything in between. I'm your host, Xander. Joined with me today are Elf, Doc, and Andy. Today's anime of choice is Perfect Blue. This one hour and 21 minute film is based on Yoshikazu Takeuchi's work, Perfect Blue, Complete Metamorphosis, which was first published back in March of 1991. Perfect Blue, the movie, was released in Japan on February 28th, 1998, with a release in the U.S. on August 22nd, 1999. The screenplay was written by Sadayuki Mirai, who is also credited with writing for other series, most notably Godzilla's City on the Edge of Battle, Millennium Actress, Knights of Sidonia, Dorara, Kino's Journey, and lastly, Boogie Pop Phantom. Also, Mirai served as a producer for Knights of Sidonia. The film was directed by Satoshi Kon, who is best known for his works on Paprika, Paranoia Agent, Tokyo Godfathers, and Millennium Actress, all in which he also served as a writer. As always, this is a review, so there will be quite a few major spoilers mentioned throughout the podcast, so if you have not seen the film, feel free to pause the podcast and come back and listen to our review later. The movie follows Mima, a pop idol with the group CHAM, all capitals with an exclamation point, who decides to make the transition into a full-time acting career with her debut in the show Double Bind. Her life begins to spiral as she becomes the target of stalking and those around her begin to be targeted in increasing acts of violence while she struggles with reconciling her past and present image of the self. So now, before we begin, who watched this in dub and sub. I know the sub is more relevant on major streaming platforms, but you can still find the, uh, at least the Japanese dub is, you can still find the English dub on occasion. I, I listen to it, um, Japanese dub, English subtitles. Elf? Subtitles! Not my preferred, but it was, it was well done. Doc, how about you? Yeah, I watched it sub myself. I found very little issue with it. I thought it was pretty consistent. Andy? I watched the dub with subtitles on because I wanted to focus on the editing. And to clarify, that was English dub, correct? Yes, sorry, the English dub. Yeah. No, no worries. Um, in terms of everyone's initial reaction, so for me personally, seen it before, it's been years. Man, I forgot how hard it was to watch this film. Like, I was on the edge of my, like, I knew what was going to happen in it, but I was on the edge of my seat. And the film just made me squirm as I watched it, as there were just some scenes that just get very intense. And it, it made me feel uncomfortable, but also made me engage because I wanted to see, again, how everything would happen over time. It was also, to me, this great, it is really a great time capsule um, to see what kind of life was like, I guess, if you want to say in the 1990s. So, you know, you have smaller boxy uh more box like tvs and you have people trying to figure out what the internet is and all those all these new technologies coming out where i think it's it's weird for me having the idea of trying to explain to say someone who was born in the late 2000s that yes tvs were that small and not that great quality because all they're seeing are these giant flat screen tvs everyone has nowadays 
Um, so it, again, it is this nice time capsule um, for me when I was watching it. But Elf, your initial reactions? Yeah, you know I'm desensitized to things when someone having to be shown how to use the internet is the most shocking thing in this film for me. That's not to disparage the film at all. I actually very much enjoyed it. It's a very... It, it's what I, I would want out of a psychological thriller in that I think the best psychological thrillers are the ones where you're not sure what is actually going on. You know what you're supposed to be watching, but what you actually see may or may not even be real in the first place. And that to me is the real key to a psychological thriller. I very much enjoyed it. I thought it was well handled on the whole. It delivers its most poignant and effective scenes at just the right moment and in just the right way which is very impressive considering the subject matters that are handled. And I also think it very much shows a timeliness, oddly enough, to contemporary times with uh, the portrayal of actresses and the way that their personality can be molded by the events around them. I think the film is actually very prophetic in understanding how the internet would drastically affect celebrity culture and the whole idea of public image and public persona. And I think it really is kind of prophetic in a way, just sort of being at those in the late 90s, that sort of uncharted period of the internet is going, ah, yes, this isn't going to go well for people who are famous. It's just like, imagine if Twitter was in there, um, just in that film and just trying to make that. Oh, if Twitter was in there, we wouldn't have made it 30 minutes into the film. The girl would have been dead already. Yeah, that's a very, very, very true statement. On that cheery note, Doc, your initial reactions. <laughs> Follow that up, my friend. Yeah, I'll do my best. Well, I have to admit the the film handled itself extraordinarily well. There are some very difficult topics that it contends with, not foremost of which is just how does one view reality when you're not really sure what reality is. And you feel that very intensely along with Mima, the main character, because you yourself, I found myself second-guessing myself at every other scene, wondering, is this a dream sequence? Do, have we even had a dream sequence? Do we know where she is right now? And that's one of the hallmarks of an absolutely perfect psychological thriller, like Elf said. I mean, I'm a sucker for psychological thrillers, and this is definitely definitely uh, has hit all the, the buttons for me i i don't know what else to say it's it, it's extraordinarily good it's a great movie and i think everyone should take a look at it even though it did make me feel extremely uncomfortable at times honestly i i had a feeling if it was like made today it would have that kind of like flashback just kidding scene you know kind of pull a deadpool somewhere yeah, th but that would be to the film's detriment. Yeah. Th this is a film that gets inside someone's head and forces you to ask really tough questions and also to uh, try and understand just what does it mean to be a person in the limelight? Because, you know, like Elle said, uh, the main character is coming into a very tentative point in her life and she's trying to make this big transition and there are just so many things clawing at her, trying to bring her back down, and she can't escape it. And it, it takes a lot of tragedy for her to finally break herself free. 
So Andy, uh, what were your initial reactions? I know you uh, you might have seen this film before. Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh yeah, I um I was probably too young when I saw this. It I was like 13 or something when I rented this from Blockbuster, and I like still remember the Not for Kids sticker on the cover. Uh, my my parents they let me uh, they let me rent anything, and my friends took advantage of that by coming to my house to watch the R-rated stuff. I, I absolutely love this film. I have for years. I think it's an absolute masterpiece in its editing. And it's, it reminds me of the sort of playful, nonsensical style of French New Wave in that it doesn't care for following the rules. It will make, it'll make you question what's happening on screen. Is the narrator reliable? Is this reality? Is it a dream? And the, the entire thing is just, it's, it's just a masterpiece in my opinion. I personally that really requires multiple viewings. Yeah. Can you think of another, I mean, besides Satoshi Kon's work in general, I know he, he did Millennium Mattress, Paprika, Paranoid Agent. Um, can you think of any other anime that kind of have that, that much of a unreliable narrator kind of feel to it or I mean that the, you've seen not not quite in the same way aside from maybe a few other uh, cone works but mm-hmm. I, I really I was I was reminded of uh, serial experiments lane a little bit in like the sort of psychological thriller element uh, you just the mis- the mystery that just gets weirder and weirder sort of aspect and boy, does this show, this movie get weird, but it also gets very real, uh, a little too real at times. Now, kind of dipping into the show, the show element, specifically, we're going to talk about animation. Um, I've just, just as a person, I've been going down this anime rabbit hole of just trying to find the next god tier show for me. And it has been slogging through a bunch of isekai recently. And oh, that's not where to go. <laughs> Why are you doing that to yourself? Because it's, it's just the it's just the it's just like okay, well, maybe if I lower my expectations so much, maybe something will stand out from the crowd. Um, yeah. sorry to everyone who watches Isekai. Hey, um, <laughs> <over here. laughs> it's okay. I... Just you're the favorite person. You don't have to admit to liking both. <laughs> I can admit to whatever I want. Thank you very much. Don't uh, take that for yourself, Isekai. Did you just say? Oh, did you say? Don't take that burden upon yourself. Don't take that burden upon yourself. Someone uh, has to. All right, Doesn't have is, to be you. He is a sacrificial <laughs> lamb. Um, but it's it. It was really interesting for me to watch it, and as I kept watching all these shows, you know, seasonal anime that come out in the past couple of years, I just really thought to myself, you know, animation wise, I, I've seen anime that have aged a lot worse than this. I actually think it has aged relatively well. Uh, with, with, with the thing that stood out to me the most were people's eyes and just kind of the spacing of eyes, Rumi especially. Um, oh, yeah, I you kept playing a plane yeah, on that I mean, forehead. <laughs> I mean, Mamoru Uchida, who's that? Who's the main stalker character? I mean, from the get-go, you look. It's like, okay, thank you, evil person, right there. Got it. Thank you, Satoshi. Uh, but Kong. that was the point. Yeah, it was. It was supposed to be a trick well partial trick to the to the audience but like i said i think it i think it has animated pretty smoothly there were a couple scenes with the perception of mima herself kind of that apparition that seemed to glide a little too much i i think that 
when in the final sequence when she's running away um the apparition kind of is gliding at her and it almost seems like maybe it, it was just me who hasn't studied too much editing in film just kind of cop like cut out move slightly in frames it didn't feel as smooth to me but that's the only thing that really stood out the camera angles just were very disorienting but at the same time i think that's the purpose of how it was supposed to be directed and made but elf what do you think about the animation overall the animation i think is very i guess i would say specialized in the sense of there are a lot of scenes where it just feels very slow, very, very almost stiff. And then all of a sudden you get these brief moments of very visceral and violent and aggressive movements. The whole uh, sequence where uh, Mimarin, uh she has this whole vision of her killing the photographer. Or I guess you could say that's also the vision, envisioned Mimarin the fake Mimarine, so to say, giving the photographer, whoever it Avatar. is, that whole assassination mm. scene with a screwdriver, it is just brutal. Oh, yeah. Like the first shot to the eye, I'm sort of wincing yeah. back like, oh, oh, it's, it, it holds nothing back in that scene. And But then you get other scenes that are just very stiff in their movements. Like any... Any still scene is very still, and any movement scene is extremely fluid. I think that disparity sort of plays into that difference between reality and illusion. Reality is very fluid and is very moving at times, but illusions can be stiff, almost like images that you're just holding up in front of you, like you're looking at pictures that aren't real, Mm. which I know sounds very babbling at times, does this movie throws your mind for a loop? The point about the uh, the movement of the phantasm figure, though, I think was kind of poignant because it is an illusion in its own way, but it's also a real person behind that illusion. It's someone living out their illusion. Hmm. And I, I know Doc's going to hate me for bringing up this book, but there's a great <laughs> thing called Secret Life of Puppets. Ah, great book. Oh, no. Uh, it talks about the whole idea of reality versus illusion in literature and the way that the ghost Mimarine, I'll call her, the way that she moves is like, you're right. It does seem very odd, but I think that's the point. She's kind of this puppet. She's the embodiment of the ideal, the way she just sort of like dances and skips along at this great speed, just sort of hopping from point to point. It does look like she's being propped up on marionette strings, you know, just sort of being like jostled around wherever she moves. And I think that kind of speaks to the fact that Mimarine's old persona was a doll and for all intents and purposes. And being an actress, she's trying to, again, not be a kind of doll. She's trying to be her own person. But man, did she pick a bad profession to find, you know, self-idealization in because ultimately actresses are a kind of doll in a way. They exist to be molded to fit a particular character, to fit a particular persona. And when you've got a stalker stalking you and impersonating you, it's understandable it's going to throw you for a loop and cause you to dissociate. Because you can't even tell who you are. Which I think is to the film's credit that it picks exactly the right kind of character to make the central point of the story. But that's getting more into themes and everything. I've already said my share in animation. So Mm. Doc can have his say and hate me for bringing up Victoria Nelson. 
just just to hop in for a quick sec um with with the photographer scene and i'm not sure if this is because i've watched like crime shows or i've watched like on tv um a lot or if it's just anime when it got to that mr murno the photographer and he's getting stabbed i thought it was going to cut away and it was just gonna be shadows on the wall and like you you'd hear the action but you wouldn't see it and i'm not sure if that's just if anyone else had that experience but that was just kind of me going in and thinking back to what i guess is more modern day tropes in in filmmaking i'm not sure well, I mean, if I, you thought of that or i'd say that's a very it's very common to use shadow play but that's more often than not just to get around sensors because you know showing blood and physical assault is something that you have to do in moderation on television otherwise you're considered too obscene of course that depends entirely on what country you are in japan they tend to have a lot less strict censorship when it comes to animation but I mean, I thought it was expected, but I mean, the moment you see the, the screwdriver going to the eye, I had no illusions that, oh, we're going for straight up brutal assault in this scene. We're not getting, we're not holding anything back. And that was nice to see. <laughs> Again, desensitized. <laughs> I was about to say, that was going to be a segue, but um, Doc, pl please save us from the secret life of puppets over there. Uh, I shall be the one to cut your strings. Uh, oh, that's it. Uh, podcast, I, podcast too, too bad, too bad. Mima couldn't cut hers. Uh, I mean, yeah. How, how do I follow that up? I mean, I think that gets a lot of the the big points. You know, the animation in this show, it's dated. It's from you know mid to late nineties, so it it very much shows just what kind of environment the show is created in. Anyone looking back on it now, if you take someone who lives in probably Tokyo now and has them look back on it, if they've lived there for a while, they might point out, oh yeah, it look, used to look like that, or things you know, arranged that way, or that's different. It's, it's, it's time capsule, uh, like you said, Xander. The animation itself, the disparities between the stiff and the extremely fluid there are, it's a little jarring at, at the very beginning i think it's when it's like the most stiff because you have like some ambient characters talking and their mouths kind of flap open a bit and sometimes you see their like, actual cut out portraits kind of skip a little bit kind of like you know uh cut out animations and i was sitting looking like is that going to be like how the whole movie is going to be because that's the case hour and 20 for this and I was happily proven wrong. As the film goes on, you are pulled more and more into that question of what is an image and what is fluid reality? And the answer is they're both equally true. And I think that really fits into how the story and Mima's character, you know, develop is that in the beginning, she is a very stiff cutout of what she is supposed to be. And as she tries to break that mold, the mold fights harder and harder to hold her in. And it's extremely difficult for her to break out because she thinks she's holding herself back. When in reality, someone else is making her think that she's holding herself back. It's, it's a whole lot of layers of cutouts and dolls and puppets and really extraordinarily bloody murders but that all works to serve the purpose of the show which is what are you 
through its animation and through the transition between image and fluid and how they mix together in very strange and uh, wonky ways that make you wonder, it works. I think this show is something that should be watched more than once so that you can appreciate the amount of time and effort that most definitely went into making those decisions and how to appreciate those transitions so you can pick up, hey, wait a minute, oh, that, that might be a dream sequence, but then it flashes back to something else, makes you think that, no, 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 she's actually on the set for the second time, but it's the third cut, so where was she last time? It, it gets you thinking, and it, it, it's a lot. The show's a lot, but the animation is solid, if dated. Is there any particular things other than the, I guess, cutout characters that stood out to you in, in any particular scene the most as kind of like maybe dated techniques or, or anything else other than that? Or was that the major thing that you noticed? I mean, that was, that was definitely the first thing that I noticed. And the show did a good job of sort of moving past that as they got into the show. Um, you can de- I think you can definitely tell where the budget went in uh, very poignant, important scenes, like the club scene, uh, like the uh, second attack uh, within the club setting. That, that whole scene where she was uh, attacked by, what was it, the, the stalker? Mamoru Uchida. Mamoru Uchida, yeah. That transition that went from very real to then making you immediately question, did that just happen? Because the set is perfect, right. and that transition was really well. This this movie is has one of some of the best transitions I've seen in a very long time. So I I have to give the the animators credit for that. Finally, Andy, what are your thoughts on the uh, the animation specifically of the show? I I know you're a you're a huge lover of animation and editing, and, and you watch and analyze a lot of movies yourself. Um, I think I'm um, generally in agreement. This movie doesn't really wow you with really high quality animation in every scene. I think it's reasonably consistent throughout, especially given the low budget. But the way to appreciate this film is to pay attention to the editing and the, the cuts in between scenes and the way it sort of plays with your ability to question, am I seeing reality? Am I seeing a hallucination or is this a dream? And I, I kind of think there's almost a combination of dreams and just, I mean, th- there's a combination of dreams, delusions, hallucinations that just sort of confuse the hell out of the viewer, which is again, you need multiple viewings. But I also th- think the the anim- the editing for the animation really serves to accentuate Nima's uh, cognitive dissonance between transitioning from you know idyllic pop idol who's again very doll like to a, a more serious actress mm. and some of the decisions that she makes to further her career but she has uh, misgivings about ultimately and it's it's, it's, it is like a very, it, it's like psychoanalysis through editing almost. It's very interesting. And this is one of the reasons why I think you can watch this multiple times and take away different things and notice new things each time. Now, something I kind of want to ask as, as a more general question, um, 
obviously um, Mima's apparition was always colored differently. It always appeared brighter, kind of, you know, that more perfect image of her. Do you, do any of you think, and any of you can just kind of say out an answer, but do you think it would have been more impactful if it was done in the same color as her character was in the very beginning obviously it's always in that uh pop idol uniform but if it was in the same line with the screen or do you think that's more impactful because the apparition stands out in that lighter shading obviously trying to be that quote-unquote idealized portrayal of herself i think it's much more impactful she's meant to be this kind of angelic figure of sorts You, you have to draw those kind of characters in such a way that really embodies what they're supposed to be. She's perfection, and she's mocking the imperfect Mima. Yeah, mm. absolutely. That that kind of, of character outline that you want to have, it has to be in contrast to who you are You know, portraying it around. There's even a line where the apparition speaks to Mima and says, I will live in the light, and you will live in shadow. And then for the for so much longer, every time Mima is against her apparition, mm. she's always the one who starts out the scene in darkness, almost blinded and encapsulated by this perfect image of who she thinks she has to be. And it it's so difficult for her to, well, see the real light behind it. Definitely not Truckkun. Okay. Yeah. Truckoon is merciless. Truckoon, Bench Coon, but is not merciless. Bench is never merciless. No, Broken Glass Coon is never merciless. Okay, okay. Mm. I, <laughs> do you want to talk about that right now? <laughs> because, wow, that was the most let down moment of the entire show. Yeah. Sure. It was sure, we just... can talk about that right now. It, I'm, that was the most flaccid scene of the entire show. <laughs> It, it's so odd because, like, like I, th- I was under the impression, of course, because I'm getting misled by the entire movie, that that confrontation with the creepy stalker guy was going to be the climax encounter oh, yeah. of the movie. And, of course, you know, you have your big reveal afterward that it's fat, bug-eyed girl who's actually the stalker, which, looking back after the movie, makes perfect sense. And oh, yeah. you feel bad for not picking up on it earlier. But it's like, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, I should have seen that coming. Yeah. But yeah, but, but that was the that's the whole point. That was yeah. a brilliant choice by by the creators. Yeah, and but but, but anyway, I, I thought creepy stalker guy confrontation was going to be like the big climax. Then we get mm-hmm. the then we get like this whole chase scene with fat bug eyed lady, and y- you get down. You, you know, Mimi Mima gets stabbed by the umbrella, and she's bleeding, and the glass is out. And you see the sharp glass, you think, okay, they're focusing on that for more than a second, so that's obviously got to be relevant. Chekhov's gun and everything. And then she gets stabbed, and then I think, okay, that's a pretty egregious wound. She's not going to be able to get up from that. And then she does. <laughs> this weird moment of silence, which I think is very kind of pointed that the two like big encounters in the third act of the film against Creepy Stalker and Fat Bug-Eyed Lady, I don't have better names, I'm sorry. <laughs> they, they bo- the big traumatic wounds at both points are always followed by this moment of very uncomfortable silence mm-hmm. before you get these screams of pain, which I think is to make them stand out a bit more, though I do find it a little awkward. Like, oh, I've just been impaled by a shard of glass. Let me ruminate on that for a second. I'll get back to you with my pain response. Let, let me sip my tea Loading. and think about it. Yeah, buf- buffering. Yeah. 
but and then she gets up and then she gets onto the street. And I think, oh, okay, here comes Truckun. Truckun is gonna save the day. And then Mima saves Fat Bug-Eyed Lady from Truckun. I'm like, don't tease Truckun that way. They're, they're both left just sort of bleeding out on the street. And I mean, I'm, wow, I'm not, it's just disappointing. During all these scenes, I'm still left questioning what is reality? Is this actually happening? Because somewhere in there, she like falls a story onto garbage. And then gets up immediately and keeps running away uh, from from uh, Rumi Chan or, or Avatar uh, Mima. It's fat bug eyed lady. Just go with that. It's fat bug eyed lady. Sure. <laughs> she, she when she breaks her uh, her uh, cup of tea. Yes, there's blood, but there you, you don't see her with any like bandages afterwards. That could just be you know the way time occurs in the in the movie. It's I I, I just don't know exactly what's real and what isn't even during these very sort of frantic action-based scenes which seem like she should be getting way more hurt than she is but adrenaline is a hell of a drug yeah also like in a show where we have to question the very fabric of reality anime logic can kind of step in and take a little bit of that i feel (laughs) Yeah, but you get this. The I love. I love the. I again. I like more realistic character design, and I, I almost feel like maybe is the character design trolling us that it makes us think this is more grounded in reality than it actually is. I don't know. Well, that's that is a good segue to our next segment of writing and pacing. <laughs> um, but I, I, I we think planned this almost. Wow, peeling back the curtain there. How dare you? Um, but in, but in terms of overall writing i mean we we've, we've all been saying it through you're just left questioning the entire time what is real what is not real i don't know and then you I, it, it's almost like if you pause the movie at certain points if you pause it at the radio station for example if you pause it at the elevator scene um if you pause it after you see um the stalker kind of disappear from the stage and if you were to walk away, like if you were to split it up into episodic formats and walk away, you would be left staying like with bigger questions, almost as if it was supposed to be in kind of an episodic format. And it really does feel truly like those beats hit for me. And that the world, again, to, to Elf's point about, you know, you get to the end, you see, you see Rumi, who's really the main antagonist. Um, and you look back and you say, man, I really, I feel bad for myself. I should, I sh- definitely should have seen that coming from the from the get-go but to me to me it it does follow its its own world logic i don't necessarily think of many gaps i will just take two two qualms with with the film one um what's what's the agent's name i'm going blank at this current uh, Tadokoro. Yeah, Tadokoro. Yeah. The, yeah. the man gets an explosive letter to him and he's like, no, nah, I'm not going to report it. Whatever. And it's never brought up again. It's like, if I got injured like that, I'm calling the police. Everything's going down. Something's yes, coming. But you are not the manager of a famous star whose reputation could be ruined by virtue of reporting bomb attacks. And therefore, your revenue oh. will be in danger. True. But if I, I guess. I guess, but if also I'm anyone in that studio who hears about it, I don't know. That's just to me. Like, it's it's beyond just that manager. It's everyone else. And, like, thinking of the other established actors and actresses in that show, I don't know. If I were them, I'd be like, huh, this new person came on. She's new. She doesn't have a career. And she's a threat to my life. Huh. 
and just kind of like that expansion. I know that gets outside kind of the circle of the characters. Lines. Yeah, I mean, I'm in complete agreement. Yeah, I get the point that yes, it can impact like reporting that incident, that little explosive letter can impact how he wouldn't have reported it if i were one of the other actors or actresses on the set because i'm guessing they're more established actors and actresses like i don't think it's just a brand new it might be a brand new ip or show but like if i was one of them they might talk to their agent and be like hmm this person who has no acting experience is a possible threat to literally my person's life like as their agent so like it just kind of surprised me that there wasn't any more interplay with that as a watch um that was that was my main gripe my second gripe was also the fish it was just like the fish are there the fish aren't there the fish are there and then but it was it also the first time where it's like i haven't fed you in a day and i was just like okay look you don't feed your fish they die this is how this works you don't feed your fish objection i have gone weeks (laughs) without feeding fish before and they've been fine what and yet, the fish were, were instrumental there. to the plot. Yes. They, I mean, were. they were like, I mean, I, I feel like they were like but, a metaphor for her old self maybe dying or maybe her purity or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was definitely something of a plot hole. You think there would be like more of a reaction to her, uh, her co-stars. I mean, a letter, a small letter exploded in someone's face. And then in a later scene, they're like, oh, it wasn't even that serious an injury. If I was work, if I was in that work environment, environment, <laughs> I'd be like, who is that letter for? What, what, what's this all about? I need to make sure my safety and friends are not like at risk. Like what? This is, this is a Definitely. new actress. Like yeah. why should she even be like, we don't. We shouldn't give her a bigger role if she's carrying over these crazed fans from her previous career. To Doc's point, yes, it is. Anime. I know. Yeah, I'm just saying that was that was <laughs> yeah. my gripe. The, the second gripe I had was was the fish, and and again, it was the fit. The fisher there, she goes, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't fed you guys today. And then she comes back and then they're all dead. And it's like, how much time has passed in between? How much, how long did you forget to feed your fish that you seem to really care about? Cause then like, I know it, I know it is instrumental to the plot later on, but to me, when I just saw that in the very beginning, I just said, how many, how, how long have you forgotten to feed your fish? How many days has it been? I was very confused. Again, very well, small gripe on that bit. Yeah, the thing is though, I, I think though that also does serve sort of the, the wider understanding of how the plot is developing because she, Mima really cannot care for anything because she can barely care for herself. And in that moment after that very intense scene in, in where they're doing the club scene and she for a moment realizes, huh, I should do something else. And then she realizes she, she failed in that and then everything just sort of shatters inward and then she breaks. And I, I think well, that, that's sort of, it's, it's a point where, yeah, I mean, Maybe in the beginning, she's like, oh, oopsie, I occasionally have to feed my fish, but I still care about them. Now it's, I can't even care for myself anymore. Mm, that's a very good point. To kind of, I, I guess, dissect the writing and pacing of these shows, do you all want to do specific scenes, anything that stood out to you individually? I know, I know we could start off 
kind of if we want to at the beginning and talk about the in- intro or do you want to fast forward all the way to the club scene where things are the club scene the the i guess for lack of a better term the pornographer scene and kind of everything kicking off in act two to act three i mean what is it we're looking to really discuss i mean the club scene is is sort of this emotional okay it's an emotional high point and intensity it's an emotional low point for uh memorine but it's to me i found it really timely in a way considering especially you know hollywood's recent problems with you know a lot of actors coming forward talking about you know sexual assault and everything on sets or in casting or things like that and yeah it would have been very easy to screw up this scene like Mm -hmm. it's so freaking easy but again to uh ano's credit it is very very well handled because like you see there is nothing sketchy going on in the scene itself like like the the actor who's the primary rapist is like between cuts going like okay are you all right like very sorry about this this is how it's going the scene is portrayed as done being very professionally but it's that professionalness about it the same thing with the photographer that makes it so uncomfortable to watch is -hmm. that everything you're watching you know whether it's reality or not is very intense and very visceral and very emotional it can be very scarring but she, as an actress, is just supposed to go through it because it's not real. But getting to the broader theme of the movie, does something have to be real for it to be emotionally impactful? Does something have to be real in order to hurt you? And as we see in a scene a few minutes after the club scene finishes shooting, where she just sort of collapses onto her bed in this fit of a sadness and grief and anger... Yes, she is very hurt by this. She admits she didn't want to do it. But it's what she that's what the new Me Marine is all about. She's willing to take these risks and willing to do all of this really, really intense stuff just it to is, become an it, actress. It's what mm. is expected of her. Yeah. But ultimately what's expected of her is jarring and to feel she's going from one illusion to another. She's still mm-hmm. kind of that puppet. But now yeah, that her, puppet's getting thrown into the fire. Yeah. The puppet of what she thinks is the industry and really is fitting into the manager. I I think that's what I heard from you, more or less, Doc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the manager you see is kind of just pushing all of this through. And in multiple scenes throughout uh, the first and second act, you know, he's, he's very much like, hey, don't you think you could use her better? Or don't you think that like, she deserves more screen time because, you know, she's no longer this. She's this now. And she's very much still up all the way into the beginning of Act 3. She's still just being used. And she's expected to follow through with that. And for a while, she... Th- just blindly well i wouldn't say blindly accepts it but she begrudgingly accepts it because to her that's the only way she's going to change who she is so in order for her to achieve whatever goal she wants she just sort of rationalize all of this by well it's just something else to beat it's just another hurdle in my way and i'll get over it and she doesn't seem to understand just how damaging those moments can be and it only further serves to make things harder and harder for her to take that next step because every moment threatens to drag her back down into being that mold 
and that, that's that speaks a lot to what the, the industry was and is it's difficult it can be dangerous and it it's mentally challenging and emotionally draining and i think that's something that a lot of people don't quite uh, think about a lot they just see the finished product and this movie is a really excellent lens into what are things more like you know we see lots of scenes where she's right before a scene shoots where she's very she's small she's alone surrounded by bright light the room begins to spin she just puts her hands head in her hands she just think repeats her line over and over and over because that is the only thing she's certain of it's hard. It's extremely difficult. And this movie shows that lens very well and it handles those moments very, very well. I mean, do you have any, do you have any thoughts on, I guess, any, any of those uh, moments or any, anything that really sticks out to you in terms of, again, scenes or writing? Yeah, I think the, uh, it's actually an early scene with uh, Rumi and the man, the, her, uh, Mima's manager. And just there, it's sort of like an interesting sort of dichotomy. There's the manager representing like aspirations as an actress, and then Rumi representing her image as this angelic, perfect, pure pop idol. And then there's sort of Mima in the center, who's ready to move past her her time as a pop idol, and she wants to pursue this new step in her life as an actress, but she still has misgivings which aren't fully being acknowledged by her manager but Rumi is acknowledging them so she's she's somewhere stuck in the middle and she's navigating this new path in her career and I just I really loved that early scene which sort of framed the conflict that carries throughout the the rest of the film I thought that was a really nice little touch which I missed the first feeling. I guess it's kind of just a wrap up kind of um, cumulative question because this film, I mean, this film was made in the nineties and Monday being Monday. Do we think it in any real capacity that would keep the heart of the film as is, do we think that this film could be made today? I, I personally don't think so. Um, It, it has, or at least in the way it's been, kind of critically acclaimed over the years and garnered such a cult following i don't i think it would be immediately shot down by a lot of people saying it's gone too far in terms of scenes um regardless of the heart of the story about having that unreliable narrator and having those narrative elements but elf what do you think on that do you think that the film could be made today and and keep the same heart as an animation in japan or as or as a hollywood movie because there's two different answers you can dissect both. I think in terms of animation, I think we would have a hard, I think the script would have a hard time getting greenlit, not necessarily due to content, but because that's just not the way the anime industry is anymore. I like, I, I think anime has in a way become a lot more kid friendly. I, I don't mean that to, in like a, dis, in a disparaging way. And it's not to say like, Oh, it's, it's all PG and nothing like God. No, of course not. But the kind of characters and themes in Perfect Blue, I think, would have a hard time getting greenlit by a lot of major studios in Japan mm. today, just given that it, I don't think there'd be a lot of confidence in how well it would necessarily sell compared to the competition, because 
you know, you have to make, make something that makes a profit. Studios don't like to right. take risks. If you were to take the same script and sell it to Hollywood today, I think either it would get approved by a smaller indie studio that's looking to make a more gritty animated film, or it might be taken by like HBO or uh, maybe Stars, maybe like a streaming service like Netflix or Hulu. And oh, like direct to, direct to streaming, not like yeah, mainstream. Direct- Definitely more of a director streaming. Mm. However, I can't help but feel that studios would definitely mandate changes, not because of problems with the story, because but because they want the story to be particularly timely to current events. Like I mentioned, how this film has a lot of stuff going for it with like the role of the internet in social perception, or you know, problems with sexual abuse and places of authority like Hollywood. I feel like the script would be altered just to make political messages and it would stop being purely a story and purely a piece of art that doesn't, that isn't tied to any one thing or any one issue. I think it would be approved with those stipulations. I don't think as is, if you took the script just as it is and you gave it to either an American film studio or to a Japanese film studio, I don't think it would be made today. That's a good point. Stock, what do you think? Yeah, I have to admit when when I when I look at this film <clears throat> and I think, can I do this today? In any case, the answer is I would typically say no unless changes are made. For one, if we're talking about in Japan animation, the a- animation industry, because that that is what it is. It is an industry. It is the tone of the industry is not so much focused on singular episodes like movies that deal with these kinds of topics and with such depth and with the focus that it gives seasonal anime has changed the industry forever and the days of these you know big you know one-time movies that hit hard and leave lasting impacts it's a rarity nowadays and because it's a rarity, any studio looking at it would need to have some guarantees that it would actually make them some revenue back. And is it possible? Potentially. I don't think it's impossible. It would just be difficult. Mm. And because of that difficulty, a lot of studios might balk at the idea. You might find one that's like a smaller studio or like just starting out or maybe wants to take another look at it, you know, kind of the idea like, okay, this was a classic. Now can we alter it a mm. little bit? But that gets into the next point of alteration that Elf uh, so rightly brought up. If this is brought over to, you know, America and you go to a studio I have a hard time seeing that ever making it out there. Uh, small indie studio, perhaps. You know, there are a lot of indie studios that would love nothing better than to take a shot at Hollywood, especially right now. And in that case, you know, maybe they would be willing to say, okay, we can take this and we can run with it. Or if it goes to streaming service like HBO, Stars, Netflix, yeah, uh, I'm worried that it would be used as a political tool or the tone and tenor of the show would be changed to fit some kind of box or 
personal narrative that the directors would have. All in all, this movie would not be translated perfectly. It would be used as a base and then pieces would be taken out, new things put in. You know, it may be used as a model, but as the movie is in its current form, I don't think you'd see it again. It, 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 when we're talking about alterations, uh, the thought occurred to me of, okay, you have Ghost in the Shell, and then you have Scarlett Johansson Ghost in the Shell, Hollywood, um, and all the changes that they made to that. And, I'm, and I just thought, mm, mm, you're, you're both right in that sense. But Andy, mm. what... What, what do you think about um, if this film could be made today and in any of the points that the other two have brought up? First off, I don't know what you're saying about the live action Ghost in the Shell. How, how can you hate such brilliant dialogue like get the spider tank? That, it's a classic <laughs> in my book. Look, I'm going to bring up the Fate Stay Night Studio Dean. People die when you kill them. No, <laughs> I'm going to bring up Netflix Death Note. Okay, he wins. <laughs> yeah, to carry on before I start quoting. Oh, I'm, please, someone say something. Andy, go. Well, that's a, that's a separate conversation. Netflix's Death Note. There's there are one or two things which I did like about it, but that's that's a conversation for another time. Oh no. Um, I miss '90s anime. I guess I'll start out by saying that they had there was just a a coolness, a dark coolness to it that I don't really see like once you get past like the mid early 2000s it just, I, I i cannot see a, a feature length film dealing with such mature psychological themes in a realistic way being made in this day and age i mean I, you have jinro which kind of reminds me in like sort of a more realistic character design adult tone very violent and it's a it's it treats violence in a very mature, realistic way rather than rule of cool style like you're seeing, which is like typical for most anime. And I, honestly, I miss, I, I miss these more adult feature length anime movies, which is probably why I just, I love Perfect Blue so much. As for, could it get made in Hollywood? That I actually, I think it basically was made in Hollywood and it's called Black Swan by Darren Aronofsky, who's a huge, Satoshi Kon fan. It's it's a uh, if have either of you seen uh, have any of you seen Black Swan? No, it, well, I've, it only basi- heard, I've only heard of didn't, it. Didn't he have a conversation with Kon before? At some point, I heard. You know, I need to look this up. I heard he like had rights to the movie. He bought the rights or something. Or he, but there's there's just you can really take shots in his films and just match them to shots in uh, Satoshi Kon films, especially uh, the scene of Mima in the tub, just sort of holding her her knees, just sort of like in despair, sort of. Um, he has that exact same shot in Black Swan, but again, Black Swan is a movie about a a ballerina in the competitive world of getting a, a spot in uh, New York City. And the the star of it, Natalie Portman, plays this ballerina who's just having a mental breakdown, and her sense of reality is all over the place. It's it's essentially like a live action Perfect Blue film. And to answer the question, could a movie like Perfect Blue get made in Hollywood? Not without the star power and of a director like Darren Aronofsky, who's who who is like a respected artist who can get the interesting 
things through the script and improved and not have it get rewritten by 10 different people so that it's studio, it has the studio stamp of approval. Maybe we'll have to add Black Swan to our personal watch list and just compare and contrast um, and I mean, viewers, I guess. In case too. you're wondering, uh, Darren Aronofsky, he did Requiem for a Dream. So his, his stuff is pretty intense. Fun. I'll yeah. take your word for it. I yeah. just say Requiem of Dream just goes right over my head personally. But yep, again, nope. I'll take your <laughs> I'll take your word. <laughs> I'll for just it. go with it. Um, in terms of general reception to the film, I mean, it it's still I don't even know if I would say cult classic, just based on how well known Satoshi Kon's work is within the anime community, and you know, to the point about Black Swan, I guess its influence in the broader filmmaking community currently on rotten tomatoes as of the time of recording it had a 78 critic rating and and the stats on these are pretty humorous to me so it had 40 critic ratings at 78 percent anyone want to take a guess on the audience ratings and how many it was in percentage elf uh <laughs> that, there are so many variables to take into account there uh let's put it at a nice no, no. Let's screw any type of realistic expectations. Let's say forty percent. Doc, I feel like I'm running a quiz show again. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> uh, okay, so audience reception of Perfect Blue. Yep, on Rotten Tomatoes. On Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know. I mean, like, I like the film, and well, I have to. Th well, most people aren't very intelligent. Except our viewers. They're extremely intelligent. Good save. Good save. That's what I do. Uh, 60%. Andy? I, okay, I'm not trying to like prices write this, but I was ready <laughs> from the beginning to throw out the number 42%. Sorry, Elf. Wow, you people have such low expectations for the audience review rating of this. My goodness. Um, critic, critic rating was 78%. Audience rating of 89%. Um, the, the funny thing to me is the critic rating has 40 ratings. The uh, audience ratings has 20,383. <laughs> I mean, there's more of an audience than there are critics. I, I mean, yeah. what, what do you expect to do about that? I don't know. There, I was just surprised at that. And then IMBDs did give it a 8 out of 10. So, it, you know, it, its ratings seem pretty consistent. But that IMBD was out of 54,000 uh, or so ratings. In terms of also other um, success the film had... It won the B-Movie Film Festival Award for Best Animated Feature, the Fantasia Film Festival winner tied with Legend of the Drunken Master, and winner of the Fantasia Section Award for Best Film and Animation. It, according to IMBD, at least, it, the film had a $3 million Japanese yen budget uh, estim and estimated earnings. A cumulative gross worldwide was about 563000 uh, United States dollars. For reference, for any American viewers, and I know this gets into more of a money aspect, $3 million budget is only about 24000 United States dollars. So they definitely made their money back in terms of any of the opening weekends across Japan and the United States. And then again, as we talked about influence, you know, you have Black Swan, which will defer to Andy about in terms of the references the director pulls from. And also, strangely enough, I did find a reference to the fact that scenes from perfect blue were used in madonna's drown the world tour remix of what it feels like for a girl i did see the video it was very strange to see a lot of these clips just flashed 
really quickly on the screen as dancers are going about their tour but i guess one that's that's live concerts and two that might just be madonna's flair at the time that's madonna's flair always and everywhere if i could just issue a correction of my um so black swan's plot draws heavily from perfect blue but it actually is darren aronofsky's requiem for a dream that has a i believe a remake of a scene from perfect blue which may be the bathtub scene so yeah both films are classics as far as i'm concerned and it's weird that darren aronofsky has this obsession with cohen who they did meet at some point, I think in 2001, it seems. Well, there you have it, dear listeners. You also have to now go watch Black Swan and Requiem for a Dream. Good uh, luck. <laughs> they're not anime. <laughs> FYI. So we will not be to watch it then. There are these things <laughs> called film. It's, it's like, Why? It's, they're like moving pictures, except it's real people. Ew, uh, real people? And, no, I don't know. And no, this obscene crap away from me. I, it sounds crazy. I'm sorry. I know. I know. I want this my animated realism. I don't want realism. Yes. Why would I want the world when I can have a better world? I can just walk outside with and see the world. Stalkers and weird no, dancing stop, ballerina stop. angels. Stop right there. Stop. No, no, no. didn't learn the lesson from Evangelion, did they? All right, we're not getting into the <laughs> discussion right now. No, 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 no. For, for, viewer, no, for viewers at home, the moment that Absolutely not. We have, we're going to have a weekend for that. <laughs> for viewers at home, be, be on the lookout for an eventual Evangelion podcast, and that will be an extra fiery special. But to close out today's podcast, in terms of final verdict of the film Perfect Blue, uh, everyone will be giving their rating on a scale of 0 to 10. Here on the podcast, we have a rating scale for our final verdicts. One to four out of ten, just skip the anime. Five to seven out of ten, give it a shot, see if you like it. Eight to ten out of ten is a must-watch anime. Highly recommended. It is actually not even recommended. It is something you need to watch above all else. For me, I think Perfect Blue does have a lot of uh, staying power, and it obviously has shown over the years. I found it quite enjoyable, but again, deals with a lot of very hard subjects, and I definitely, as I've said before, did squirm a bit in my chair as I was watching the film, but I would still give it an 8 out of 10 stars on a rating for me personally. But even if I did squirm, I did enjoy it. Elf, how about you for a final verdict? I don't count squirming as a reason to dislike the movie as long as the squirming is justified. I enjoyed every aspect of the film. I can't really think of any serious flaws in it that can be demonstrated to be serious flaws because at the end of the day, the film is all about perception and the difference between myth and reality. And in that circumstance, it does its job masterfully. I cannot think of anything really disparaging to say about it. I would give it really a solid nine and a half out of 10. Doc, how about you? Final verdict. This is where he says he's just going to give it a low four out of ten. He's like, did not like, would not recommend. No, no. I, I'm, what do you think I am, Andy? Oof. Ooh. <laughs> Definitely not Ooh, fire ven- I got you for last week. <laughs> Vengeance for, for Mob. <laughs> when, when it comes to this movie, watch it. <laughs> Absolutely. This movie, it has so much staying power even though its time should have passed its message about 
how one changes oneself, the difficulties that that entails, and the struggles that people go through, especially in the acting world, which is something that I don't think people give nearly enough credit for, the dangers and the difficulties that go along with it. Not even just in uh, acting, but in all these really highly competitive environments that's always going to be a part of the human experience and this this show it's 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 a damn near masterpiece i know we didn't talk about it much but even the music itself it's simplistic but the way it was put in the moments where it it swelled at points to where it was nearly overwhelming. The rapid beats sound like heartbeats or, you know, the ticking of a clock or sometimes when it pulls back to nothing, you're just left in absolute silence to just contemplate what went on. Is this real? It gives you that moment to dissociate with the character. Any so-called mistakes, they're actually there on purpose and they only serve to improve this film. Uh, I see absolutely no reason why this show does not deserve a 10 out of 10. Now it is the quest for the next 10 out of 10 recommendation we get from Doc. I thought It's going to be a while. To be fair, I thought you were just going to stop and say, the show, watch it, and then just move on. So thank you for the explanation. I the was it. considering it, but, you know, I as, as a doctor, I have to fill out my prescription entirely. So, so no one can read it. Gotcha. Watch with Andy. Absolutely not. <laughs> Andy, final verdict. Oh, um, I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. I think it's, it is a masterpiece. And that's not to say it aren't, it's perfect. There aren't flaws. Maybe the animation could have been better here and there. But just its influence as an example of like what anime could be. That could be something very psychological, adult, mature, violent, be emotionally poignant. It's It just serves as one of the best examples of like, what the genre can do that you don't really see today. And I think it's essential viewing. Like a lot of these lists of greatest films of all time, I'm going through, I'm currently going through a list of the thousand greatest films ever made. A lot of the films that are at the top of the list are there because they were the first to do something that's become standard in in filmmaking. And I think this is one of the first films to just be a very adult, psychological thriller horror that and mind fuck all all in one Mm. and you you don't see that very much these days especially since we left the 90s and i I miss i miss anime like this basically and i just love this film and he just wants to go back to the 90s go back to the night yeah yeah things were so much better and our final average for Perfect Blue is a 9.4 out of 10. So, again, that is a must-watch anime. This has been the Postgrad Anime Club Podcast with Elf. See ya. Doc. See you next time. Doctor's orders. And Andy. Till next time. That was our review of Perfect Blue. Thank you for listening to this podcast. And please join us next time for our review of Sword of the Stranger. See ya.